price jumped to above three digits. I think it was like $110 mm. and thought to myself, we've missed the boat. That was it. We've missed it. You know, something jumping was that 20 something percent in a couple of weeks. So everyone thinks they miss it without understanding the full gravity of what's actually taking place, which is a transition to an entirely new monetary system. Hello and welcome to Bitcoin with Jake. Listen in to hear from Bitcoiners dispersed all across the globe whose personal journeys I leverage to gain conviction in an ongoing due diligence process. I need to take a moment to mention our sponsors. Orange Pill app is for those of us that want to meet Bitcoiners. Dubbed Bitcoin social layer, it helps you connect in an ultra local fashion whilst also curating suitable events nearby. Check out episode 48 to hear the journey of Matteo the founder of Orange Pill app, in case you need any more excuses to sign up. Hardblock is an Australian Bitcoin exchange. They've been serving the community from as far back as 2014, never got sucked into the dubious world of altcoins and continue to be one of the industry leaders down under. Check out episode 17 to hear from Daniel Wilczynski, the founder of Hardblock for a more in-depth background. Now, let's get on with today's show. I'm pleased to have Anil on the show today. How are you? Doing well, Jake. Thanks for having me. Very excited to chat. I know we've spent a while trying to tee this up, so I'm glad we're finally doing it. No, thank you so much for joining. So I'll get straight into it. What were you doing and where were you when you first heard about Bitcoin? Actually, wait, I, I, I have to get this in before we start. Go I ahead. really want to know how Bitcoin Alive was as a, as a city boy myself, okay. seeing a conference being held there. Yeah, uh, It looked amazing. I heard you emceed, so just give me a quick uh, oh, rundown. It was a week or so ago, a Bitcoin-only conference in Australia. I'd been to the Bitcoin Bush Bash before, which is an awesome experience as well. I highly recommend people go to both, but this was more of a like paid-for ticketed event. The team that put it together, Dylan, Jess, Chris, did an amazing job. I turned up 8 o'clock in the morning, essentially as a volunteer and emceed for the day alongside JP, and I was immediately blown away by how professional the whole thing was. Jess, shout out to her. She'd done five years working at the Roundhouse in the past. And so that was her like real area of expertise. She knew all the team members. It was just so slick. Um, chucked on a Bitcoin Alive t-shirt, hopped on the stage, did a little kind of role play with JP, realized, oh my God, this is actually happening, having never done anything like that before in my life. And then saw, you know, presentation panel after panel of just awesome, awesome conversation. Yeah, anyone out there that didn't make it to Bitcoin Live, try check it out next year. And Neil, hopefully we can get you along as well. Um, they decided on the day that they were going to do next year. So it was, it wasn't, <laughs> kind of, it wasn't kind of planned to have this big announcement, but it was, it was so much fun. The pre-nerves kind of disappeared and just, yeah, a lot of us, we spend so much time online to get into a physical space where all these people I've been chatting with about, you know, niche conversations like what is money and monetary policy and the effects of rampant inflation and all this funny thing. And often with anonymous profiles, right? You have no idea yeah. who you're actually talking to. We're all in one place. And so, yeah, it was, it was a great event. I think there was like circa 300 people there. They broke even for their first attempt. And yeah, I mean, look, all around happy days, bear market, like things are going to move forwards. And I highly recommend it to anyone as an experience. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. I completely agree with you. The amount of time we spend online is great. You know, we can do things that scale, but those in-person connections are really important. I think there are a number of attendees that I had met actually last year in Austin at BitBlock Boom that, that spoke in Sydney. Uh, Tim, Izzy, I think Piers was talking to. Mm. Yeah, you really build a solid network of just really lovely, hardworking, 
and just genuinely curious people. So it's it's great to see that the first year was a success and next year's already locked in. And how good yeah. for Sydney to have a marquee event like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where the more that Bitcoin becomes your headspace, the more that you want to spend time with people that are like that. And you have so much in common and you kind of, you just become great friends very quickly, which is something I've not experienced in any other kind of field or, or topic that I've been part of in the past. It's awesome. People have to come. All right. Well, so Anil, we'll rewind slightly. And great question, by the way. I love that. Thank you for asking. Where were you and what were you doing when Bitcoin came into your life? I was sitting on the living room floor of my parents' house when a friend of the family first mentioned it to me. Okay. I never heard the term before that point, and it immediately resonated with me because at that point in my life, I was traveling a lot. I was living in several different countries across my early 20s, and you know, I, I see you've migrated at least once in your life, and yeah, you know what yeah. it's like dealing with a new banking system or a visa system and all the joys that come with those points of friction. Mm. So I made a pretty common mistake, and that was believing Bitcoin was purely a payments technology. You know, here's a new payment rail, and that was it. It was a way to move essentially fiat around in my mind. I didn't understand the, the concept of a fixed money supply and, and what that meant for, for purchasing power long term. So it took me a while, you know, it kind of sat on the shelf after that first initial contact. But over time, it eats away at you. If you're curious enough, you'll, you'll sort of search for answers when you're hit, especially with pieces of FUD in the media. And it rewards you if you're willing to do that, that work and stay open-minded, just like any disruptive technology. So it got too big to ignore, and especially I'm based in Canada now, and there's a lot of really strong Bitcoin companies that have come out of Canada, as well as personalities from quite some time ago. So I feel like I arrived in a place that already had a very well-established Bitcoin community that was miles ahead of what I'd seen elsewhere. So I, I was very fortunate to learn from some, some really smart people and uh, naive enough to, to, to take a gamble too. So very, very happy that I found it when I did in my life because it does fundamentally change how you live your life in terms of lowering your time preference. Wow, it's so, so cool. That's my it? story in a nutshell. Yeah, nice. And and rough dates on that. So you mentioned early 20s. So when was that conversation on the floor that you just mentioned? So that was when I remember Bitcoin was about $90. Mm. And I remember that was at a time when the only way in was really by wiring money to Mt. Gox. Mm. And a friend and I were fairly serious. I don't know if we ever would have followed through. But the price jumped to above three digits. I think it was like $110 mm. and thought to myself, we've missed the boat. That was it. We've missed it. You know, something jumping was that 20 something percent in a couple of weeks. So everyone thinks they miss it without understanding the full gravity of what's actually taking place, which is a transition to an entirely new monetary system. The common thread is everyone thinks they're too late and everyone thinks they don't have enough. You know what I mean? The closer you get to it. And so let's pick up on a comment you just made there about transitioning to a new monetary system. So for those out there that might not understand what that means, how do you see that? We're living in a world where 
we get to experience the emergence of an entirely new monetary system. Right now, we live kind of in the fiat era where most people have come to accept whether they believe it's right or not. They've come to accept that we live in a system where governments and central banks are the issuers of currency. And that is what we use to transact. That is what we pay our taxes in. That is what we consider money. Now, to live at a point of time where you experience the internet and you see how many businesses, sectors, business models get completely disrupted by this new thing that we didn't really have a baseline to compare to before, having that benefit of foresight, you know, putting on a layer of value on top of a network like that, you know, we're lucky. It, it, it's maybe a bit more intuitive for our generation. So right now, yeah, we, we kind of have this parallel system in Bitcoin where, you know, the Bitcoin network essentially has become SWIFT and the Bitcoin protocol has replaced the Fed. Mm -hmm. So we have a currency issuer and we have a global payments network that depending on what your circumstances are, if you can tolerate the volatility and you're looking at this as a long-term thing, you can kind of operate on an entirely different system, independent from all the risk and moral hazard that is inherent in the fiat system that you know, we kind of see on an increasing basis. It's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very big deal. It's a big it's deal. It's a very big deal. It's a very exciting time. And we should be very grateful that we're around to witness it. Yeah, I completely agree. Perhaps you could share, if you can, a little more about your background. And what intrigues me is, you know, clearly you speak very well about Bitcoin, very passionate about it. It makes sense to you, but you've had to learn it. But what you've been able to do is produce this wonderful content that distills it into extremely simple form that can be shared with basically anyone. So perhaps you could talk us through the process of, of getting to that point and, and the content that you create. Like, did you know something before that helped you create content perhaps, or, or a graphic designer or anything along those lines? Just talk us through the genesis of all that. Cause I'd love to learn. Yeah, no, I, I started from zero. My old man was a, a graphic designer for part of his career. So I kind of just grew up around fonts and signage and, you know, page layouts, things like that. Awesome but never had any, any form of training as a designer. Um, it was purely from, you know, the, the same thing that you're doing with starting a podcast is you see a gap in the market where you can add value to this ecosystem and you kind of just go for it mm. because you recognize that, you know, we're at the beginning of something really, really big. There's going to be a lot of room for people to get involved. And at this point in Bitcoin's journey, we kind of need everyone involved. Mm -hmm. So the genesis for me was spending a fair amount of time on Twitter as my main educational, you know, resource. Mm -hmm. uh, and you would see the same kind of arguments or interactions over and over again, mm -hmm. where someone fairly high profile, whether it be an athlete or an author or a politician would make some comment about Bitcoin that was either factually incorrect or just very misinformed. Mm -hmm. So what would we do as Bitcoin? So what would you see the Bitcoin community do? Heat-seeking missile. <laughs> right. 
we all pile in with our two cents talking past one another. Mm-hmm. And the end result is we've alienated someone and made them think we're all crazy. Now, that aside has no bearing on the actual purchasing power of Bitcoin, which is really the thing that matters. But if you're trying to help a broader population understand something that's inherently confusing, you kind of want to arm people with these tools or like a a catalog or a library of resources they can use at those moments. So I saw this interaction, I think it was with an author uh, who was criticizing Bitcoin and someone had made a graphic of money over time. And it sort Mm. of started with shells and then there was gold and then there was paper money and then there was Bitcoin and it was was kind of done in like Microsoft Paint. Mm. Didn't look very pretty, was very confusing. But as a Bitcoiner, I understood that. Mm. Thought, here's something that has potential. With a few tweaks, I'm sure a lot more people would understand. It. Mm. So it really just started with trying to improve upon what I was already seeing out there. And from there, you know, Bitcoiners aren't shy. They'll give you feedback. You'll make a few mistakes. They'll help you error correct. And over time, if you are able to, you know, slay your ego to some extent, you can continue to improve. Mm. So I didn't anticipate creating as much content about Bitcoin as I currently do. It just kind of happened by chance over time Mm. by taking in feedback from people Mm -hmm. uh, online. Well, and it wasn't even an audience question, but one of my listeners, the Resha, I think it was, shout out to them, just wanted to say thank you to you. Because the work that you've done has helped to simplify what Bitcoin is. And it's not only useful for people that are already Bitcoiners to go, ah, I hadn't really thought about it like that. But also to send to family and friends. Be like, look, this is so simple. Just have a look at some of this. And that I really like because Bitcoin's for everyone. And frankly, Bitcoin doesn't care who you are. But everyone has a different problem. Everyone has a different educational capacity or a different way of learning, right? Some people like to listen, some people like to speak, some people like to do, some people like to read. Everyone's slightly different. Just from a a content creator's perspective, so someone starting a podcast like myself, how many people have seen your content, do you reckon? Do you have any kind of rough numbers or? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, you know, as you know, Twitter will give you some analytics Mm. and then I, I use a particular site that allows people to download a lot of my presentations for free. Mm-hmm. I released an ebook a few years ago, mm-hmm. you know, do podcasts, write articles for Bitcoin magazine, Citadel 21. So in aggregate, I honestly have no clue. Mm-hmm. The real metric I use is how many people maybe send me a photo of themselves presenting with my slides, oh, wow. or I see my work pop up in other people's blogs, live streams, or articles where they'll tag me. Yeah, so, nice. That's really the only thing I care about because if that is increasing and I'm producing kind of the same amount of content, it means my content's at least getting better or it's spreading further. Awesome. So that's like a genuine citation, isn't it? You know what I mean? So instead of all this garbage in an academic paper about being cited by so-and-so, it's actually like, no, no, my content's being used in, you know, X many presentations around the world right now. And you can tell because people are more than happy to, to credit where credit's due. Gosh, that's fantastic, Anil. Yeah, just let me caveat that. Like, I'm not particularly bright in the spectrum of like Bitcoiners. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of my work initially was just curating 
the words or illustrations of others mm -hmm. and just kind of tweaking them with credit and permission. But I was building off a lot of people that came before me. Yep. So, you know, very little of my work is like completely original. Mm -hmm. It's just this hive mind that we created where we're just always getting closer and closer to more precise and more digestible content that we share with people coming into the ecosystem. So what I found in my own journey, the most useful way to, I guess, grasp Bitcoin and, and, and really take it seriously was just to continuously understand the first principles behind money, technology, uh, communication networks, and, you know, a bit of psychology. So looking at all the books that are currently out there about Bitcoin, there are some fantastic books, books that have helped me enormously. The oh, one man. thing I always wished had existed was a reference style book that I could go back to when I would come across a term that was used very frequently, but I was unfamiliar with. So that's mm. what my book is. It's a collection ah, of these cool. concepts, about 50 of them that will help you understand Bitcoin from first principles. Okay. So we're talking fairly basic things like, you know, network effects, yep. Um, yep. creative destruction, game theory, uh, praxeology. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, to your point earlier, Bitcoin is for everyone. So I wrote it in a way that you don't need an understanding of Bitcoin or any interaction with Bitcoin really to consume this book written in a very non-technical way. And, uh, I hope it finds its place on that bookshelf. Well, okay. you've got a customer sitting right here for sure. And it springs to mind a couple of things. I don't know if you've had the chance to read through Mark Moss and Alex Fetsky's The Uncommunist Manifesto, but that starts with a set of definitions. And I really, really enjoyed that as a style because it, it's clear from the beginning what the authors meant by certain terms. And not to shit on it in the slightest, but I'm at the moment going through Bitcoin as Venice. I've read a lot of the articles already, but it's basically a second read and it's dense and it's really important to understand what it means. But at times I'm like, Oh, what does that mean again? Or what was their reference? Like, what is your definition of capital? And it just seems to just not be as clear as it could be. And so that's not a book I would recommend to someone off the bat, for example. But I wish that they had done the same thing that the Uncommunist Manifesto had done, which is mm. lay out at the start a set of definitions that were relevant to the entire experience of Bitcoin as Venice. So yeah, fantastic, Anil. That's a great concept. And I love that you thought about the existing resources. I feel like Bitcoin gets you fired up sometimes, but as content creators, you fall into it naturally in some senses, but do it slightly like a headless chicken. And so understand the market first. Okay, what do people probably not have at the moment which they need? And so talk us through the creation process. Like how long has it taken you? What are some of the tools you've had to use? I'm assuming you've had some advice along the way. How's that gone for you? It was a very organic process. So it really started with tweets, which turned into a newsletter. And if anyone out there writes a newsletter, you know that you kind of have to find this intersection of two things if you really want to kind of carve out your own market. And for me, I knew one of those axes was going to be Bitcoin, but what was the other one going to be? Mm. And as a content creator, it's always very uh, rewarding to do something or take on a project where you're the main beneficiary in terms of learning. 
you know, the best way to learn is to teach. Mm. And to teach, you have to really effing understand the material, especially mm. around Bitcoiners. So it was kind of an exercise of honing my own understanding of the first principles that really insulate Bitcoin. Mm. So each week, I kind of made this short list of about 20, 25 concepts. And I said, each week, I'm going to just hammer out one of these to my Twitter following. And over time, it kind of grew into its own newsletter. It got a bit of traction. Mm. I hit that, you know, 25 mark and I'm like, well, okay, I'll just keep going. And then mm. it kind of ballooned out to 50. And then it kind of got to a point where I put it out to the world. Hey, would you want to see this in the format of a book? Mm. And as you know, Twitter is great for soliciting very honest feedback and the reception was positive. So put out the book yeah, nice. uh, as an ebook originally got some very good feedback, very helpful feedback. And yeah, eventually consensus publisher said, Hey, let's turn this into a hard copy. And that's what's Wicked. coming out this week. Awesome. Well, congratulations. So Neil, a direction I want to go, and I know we've got 10 minutes or so left. It's a bit of a sprint, this one to the audience out there. Neil's got some dad duties to get to. So shout out to that. No worries. We've connected as well around the kind of concept of angel investing and buying equity in early stage companies. And one of the problems we've identified is that there's not enough information on that market. And so why doesn't a kind of crunch base for Bitcoin exist, which would be cool to build and I've talked about doing it. I haven't got around to it because I've been focused on other things and it's just not top of my list. But um, did you make some angel investments in the space already? And just how do you think through the, the concept of trying to outpace Bitcoin in different ways? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, so Grant Gilliam wrote a really good piece. He's part of 1031, which is a fairly well-known Bitcoin-only VC firm. And he kind of talks about this concept. I don't know if he coined the term, but he definitely wrote a very digestible piece about the term SATS flow. Mm. And that is the companies that will be successful in the future are not necessarily just going to be the ones that convert their treasury to Bitcoin in the present moment, but they'll be the ones that will be able to earn Bitcoin over time. Mm. So having what he calls SATS flow makes a business very attractive over the long term and, and angel investing is very much a long-term gain you're very unlikely to see any kind of return within the first five to eight years most of the investments typically fail so why would you do that when the other option or the opportunity cost of that is just stacking sats in cold storage and for me that really just came down to well it's a learning experience mm. you know like you're doing this podcast, you meet some amazing people mm. and you're going to meet a lot of those people that you really believe in that are building mm. something really cool that you mm. think might become one of those tent poles of this ecosystem over the next decade. It's just an opportunity to bet on people doing fundamentally interesting and innovative things mm. with this new monetary technology. I'm hoping that's well, we're going to kick off into a big bull run over the next kind of 18 months. And as that happens, I'll take some, some money off the table when it becomes appropriate. And with that, I'm hoping to then start being more active in that kind of early stage equity space. Um, and I would only ever look at it as like a small percentage of my portfolio, shall we say. But either way, as you say, looking at people that are building the future is just one of the most exciting things I've ever done. And I worked in the startup space before and you know, the, the fiat startup mentality is very different to this. Like you don't look for companies that cash flow. 
you're looking for hockey stick growth. You don't actually care necessarily unless you can like get that kind of breakout type of performance. Yes, yeah, so Satsa, that's so interesting, isn't it? Wow. Well, Anil, so talk us through how you see the future. And you mentioned already that Bitcoin had changed your life. So talk us through how that's the case in the main and how do you see that going forwards? Well, I'm going to throw this question back at you because of course. I, make, I make very few predictions. My crystal balls know better than the average yep. person. So that's why I kind of focus just on these fundamentals, these first principles, things that are generally true over time that I can just follow these rules and hopefully I'll end up at a place that's, you know, slightly better or compounds over time. But a big driver for me was becoming a dad. Mm. That kind of reorients your entire view of the future, but primarily what you want for your children. And, you know, I, I know you're a dad of young kids too. Mm. So yeah, how would you answer that question? Well, I, I, I've got more certainty on the future from a financial perspective than I did before. And that's just the nature of sound money. But without doing a lot of work to figure out what sound money is and how Bitcoin is a modern representation of that, then you don't necessarily see it for what it is initially. But yes, yeah, so I'm more confident on the future. I'm more confident in myself. I've been able to walk away from a fiat job and spend more time building out projects that I'm interested in, in the knowledge that I believe my purchasing power is going to increase significantly in, you know, a relatively kind of medium term view. So had I not had that, I would definitely wouldn't be able to own my own time again. But owning your own time is just extraordinarily powerful. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's changed my life radically, made me more positive, made me more excited and I will probably shoot for having a third baby at the end of this year, which, you know, a lot of people would be like, you're completely fucking mad. What are you doing? Um, so, I mean, it's all benefits and that's why I have a podcast talking about it, right? Like all these different people around the world converging on this thing and having positive benefits from it. It's absolutely mad. Why is that? And I love asking the question. Yeah. That's fantastic to hear. Wow. Yeah. A third kid. And that's, you're, you're right. You know, give you a positive spin on life. I mean, when the fiat world, there's so many forces designed intentionally to drag you down that a positive and optimistic person in this world is kind of looked at with cynicism. Mm. So, you know, I think a lot of Bitcoiners feel that alienation amongst, you know, normie friends purely because they can walk around with that certainty and with that confidence in terms of their, you know, their savings, their long-term purchasing power. So, yeah, you know, that's not an uncommon thing that I've heard of, of Bitcoin as having significantly larger families than mm. average. Mm. And there's a lesson in there. Mm. I don't have a crystal ball either, right? I'm not going to sit and be like, yeah, we're going to have a million dollar Bitcoin in, you know, two months time. And that's all, all garbage. And I really love what you're saying about focus on the fundamentals. And some of the kind of concepts that spring to mind that I think are useful as well is this idea of like money monopolizing like you really only want one money and the idea of a shelling point and the idea of uh, it roughly takes the lindy effect 20 years for people to like accept that a technology is is real and s-curve adoption all this kind of stuff it's all fundamental as you say it's like we can read about these things you can see it happening with the wheel you can see it happening with a mobile phone you can see it happening with a telephone you can see all these things we don't know what the price is going to be, but we know that it's going to function 10x faster, 10x stronger, 10x cheaper than the previous. And where does that take us? We don't know. Yeah. And that's it. That's what I think hardened 
high conviction Bitcoiners are is they're just pattern recognition machines. Mm. They kind of look back at history across many, you know, hyperinflationary events on the monetary side, and they look at high S-curve adoption charts on the technology side, and they're putting those two together, and they're making an educated guess of mm. what might happen when you have, you know, perfectly inelastic digital scarcity. Mm. So, yeah, we're in for an exciting ride either and, way. And, yeah, and shout out to Larry Lepard, who came on the pod at one point, who's someone, for example, you know, a lifelong investor in his 60s, and he's been investing in technology for a long, long time. And you, you talk to someone like that, he's become a gold bug and is now into Bitcoin because he found the technology investing so frustrating in some senses. But they've seen it before. They've actually seen it before. They're, oh, this is kind of like, you know, the 90s, or this is kind of like in the 80s with like microchips or microprocessors or whatever. And you go, whoa, like, how is it? I can literally just jump on YouTube and, and get this information. It's quite incredible, isn't it? Well, Anil, listen, so how can people reach out and get in touch is my final question. Find me on Twitter. I'm very accessible. If you're looking for resources, if you're someone who teaches others or is speaking at a meetup or a conference in the near future, there's a link in my Twitter bio. There's a huge amount of downloadable content all for free that you can use in that effort. And uh, yeah, the book is called The Bitcoin Handbook. Jeff Booth was very gracious to write the forward to that. And it will be out on the 27th of April, which is tomorrow. Which so is depending today on when here this in gets Australia. released. <laughs> I forget, yeah, you're in the future. <laughs> Fantastic, Anil. Well, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Jake, great to chat. All the best. And thanks so much for inviting me on the show. Okay, friends. Nice work. You made it all the way to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this conversation. As I said at the start, if you have any questions, then please don't hesitate to reach out. And if you enjoyed the episode, then please rate, like, subscribe, and share. That's it for now. Enjoy the rest of your day. All the best, Jake.